Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Morning, everybody. It's an honor to be here today. I, uh, Sam kind of mentioned it, but yeah, Kara and I and our daughter Eden have moved to Preston for the next year. So we're going to be around and just, uh, yeah, really enjoy being with you all. It's, uh, it's a beautiful church you have here. And I don't know how often you think about that. I don't know how many of you have been coming for a long time. I don't know how many of you have uh, just kind of got used to coming to this church and just got used to being a part of it. It's, it's worthwhile now and again just to remember how good it is to be here. And how good it is to be a part of something like this that has a heart for the city and a heart for the gospel. Hebrews talks about, I think it's Hebrews 13, where the writer says, you would do well to make the life of your leaders a joy. And, uh, and the writer says, because it would be advantageous to you. And Karen and I, my wife, we've been involved in pastoral ministry our whole adult life. And this won't be any surprise to you, but leading church and being a part of church is so much more than... What happens on a Sunday? It's, uh, it's, it's the people business. And the people business is, is discipleship and it's, it's the messy business. And uh, yeah, every Sunday you arrive here and there's this incredible worship and teaching and people greeting you and lunches and all this stuff happening and it's just a joy. And so I wonder if you just take a moment and just celebrate your leaders, Hannah, Sam, Tim, and the whole team and just round of applause and say thank you to these people. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, now, now we've made them uncomfortable, I can begin. I'm very honored to be kicking off this series, and uh, it's going to be an incredible series. You're digging into the stories that Jesus told, the parables. And the parables, I mean, there's a lot of them. I don't know how long the series is going to go on for, but there's a lot of them. And the, par- the parables, they slow you down. If you're reading through the, through the Gospels, when Jesus starts speaking in parables, The point of it is to kind of slow you down because it isn't all there. The information isn't just freely given by Jesus. He gives stories that sometimes feel slightly cryptic. They feel like riddles sometimes, and they take a heart that really desires to be enlightened by God to receive them. He doesn't always explain them. And the one we're looking at today in Luke chapter 8, Jesus does break it down, but that doesn't always happen. So it requires you as as a follower of Jesus to read it slowly to digest it. In fact, in this scripture, Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, hear. So we're going to turn, our, turn open your Bibles, and we're going to go uh, to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 4. This is the parable of the sower. If you've read this parable before a hundred times, if you have Sunday school syndrome, which means I know this, I've heard it before, humor me and humble yourself and allow yourself to hear the words of Jesus like you've never heard them before. All right, here we go. Jesus said, and this is when a great crowd was gathered. Jesus had a crowd and he chose to speak with a story. He said this, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
And as he said these things, he called out, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in verse 9 says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, which in itself, just to say, is teaching for us. We are the disciples of Jesus. And when you read the Gospels, that should be our response, to go to Jesus and say, what do you mean? He said this, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Verse 14, and as for, the, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, in hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. So th there's so much in this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the time that I've been given, and I've tried to simplify it as much as I can in what I want to share. The first thing is this. God is the generous sower. So you know this scripture, everyone knows the scripture, whether you've been to church or not, John 3, 16, God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave his son. The cross is the most extravagant example of God as the sower. Here it is. Here is the good news. This is how much I love you. And then what Jesus goes on to say about the word of God being the seed is at different times in our life and in different ways the seed falls and the manner in which he describes, describes how it's received. So the first thing to recognize is you are all of the circumstances and the examples that Jesus describes. One of the worst things we can do when we read the parables, and I was guilty of this for a long time and still am, is you read down the parables until you get to the good guys or the scenario that you most want to identify with and then you say, that's me. I'm the good soil. I'm the one that the, 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 the seed lands and is planted and in time with a good and honest heart reaps a great harvest. That's me. But to actually be truly, you know, walking in integrity, we must read the parables and recognize ourselves in every single example of the story. That's how Jesus teaches. Do you relate to this? The, Luke 15 is one of, the, one of the best. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. I am the younger son. And I am the older son. And you recognize yourself in it. And in doing so, the word gets in you. And again, as the writer says in Hebrews, cuts through bone and marrow, the double-edged sword, living and active. So the first thing that Jesus talks about with this seed falling is, he says, some fell along the path and were trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And Jesus gets straight to the point. He says, the birds of the air are the devil. And we've got to remember, Jesus is speaking about a devil as Jews understood the devil throughout their whole tradition. He's not talking about a little red figure with horns. He's not talking about something with kind of medieval, middle-earth kind of ideology. He's actually talking about something that was deeply rooted in the, Christian, in the Jewish faith. There is an adversary. There is one who wants to rob you of the abundant life that Jesus is coming to give. John 10.10, he says, I... Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life in abundance, but there is one who comes to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. 
So wherever you see that happening in your life, you can name it as the adversary. And Jesus is saying, and this is what he does. The word is given like a, like a sower throws the seed. And it goes into the ground and it's trampled. And then the birds come and they pick it and they take it away. This, Jesus is saying, this is what the enemy does. This is what the adversary does. Why is he telling us this? Well, the main reason is so that we're aware of it. It's been said, you might have heard this before, the greatest lie or the greatest trick the, ever, the devil ever pulled was convincing everyone that he didn't exist. That we would go around our lives to use Jesus' metaphor without any kind of reference to the sky. Our enemy is airborne. You don't see him coming. But what the New Testament teaches us over and over and over again, and never more so than in the writings of Paul, is that we have an authority that this devil doesn't have. So there's a lot of power in this room right now because well, that's a lovely graphic. I just noticed that for the first time. I don't know who did that, but that's a very nice, huh? Jody, that is a very nice graphic. There's these beautiful screens. There was incredible music coming out this morning. There's lights everywhere. It's gorgeous. There's a lot of power powering this building. But you have a great warden. His name is Mike, right? Mike knows how to turn off the power. Mike has some keys that will get him into a certain room, and with a few flicks of a switch, this whole thing goes dark. And so it is as the follower of Christ. Yes, yes, the enemy has power, but he has no authority. And Jesus says in, in, in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. So go and do what? Make disciples of nations. Don't take back what the enemy says is his. It was always mine, says Jesus. It was always mine. Go and make disciples of nations. So it's the first thing to remember. Jesus is saying, it will come. He will come. You will feel this kind of temptation. You will feel this indifference. You will feel this kind of pulling away from the, the sense of being connected to this word. But remember, you have authority. And just to quote James, he says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Which sounds like easy, it sounds nice. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. But, but it takes a lifetime to fully appreciate that. So for anyone who's ever been at the gym, you start stacking weights because the more resistance you have, the stronger you get. If you just, just do it with the easiest weight the whole time, you don't grow against any resistance. But the more resistance you face, the more you push, your muscles tear and grow back stronger. So it is with the temptations of the enemy. You might today have an opportunity to resist. You know what it is in your life. It could be anything, just the pleasures of the flesh, and you resist. And it might feel so insignificant, but you just stack some more dumbbells on the weight, and you just push a little harder, and you just got a little stronger. And you resist again tomorrow, and then on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and on Thursday. And it doesn't matter what happens throughout the rest of the week. Grace will catch you, but you just keep resisting. And before you know it, you are growing so strong that what used to tempt you, what used to pull you away, doesn't even get your attention anymore. There's, this, there's a story of a young priest, a young monk, who went to an older monk. And he said to the older monk, he said, in your old age, do you still wrestle with the devil? And the older monk said, no. I don't wrestle with the devil anymore. For the devil has grown old with me, and the devil has grown weak. But God remains young. I only wrestle with God. 
And as this man had grown old in his faith and had resisted the devil time and time again, it's as if their devil just decided, I'm going to go pick on someone easier. And God, like Jacob, is still there saying, are you ready for another round, you know? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing he says is some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no, it had no moisture. And so I'm going to do the, the classic preacher trick and just give you four Ds to help remember this. The first one is the devil. The second one is this. It had no moisture. It had nothing in the soil to develop it. It wasn't developed. It couldn't develop. It didn't grow. And so it so quickly fell away. And I, I, I just thought of this the other day. It was before I even was thinking about a passage in this context. Kara and I have got this little disposable camera. We went on a road trip through America a few, few months ago. So we took this little disposable camera that we still haven't got developed. And it's in our drawer. And I was thinking, all right, I need to find out a spot in Preston where I can get this developed. We've got all these images on this camera that need to be developed. It's not digital. It's not instantaneous. It requires development. The only way that these images can get off this camera and into my hands is for it to be developed. And the only way for this film to be developed is for it to be put into a dark room. And when I say a dark room, I mean a dark room. A dark room has to be so dark that when your eyes adjust to the room, it's still completely pitch black. That's the only way that the images can be developed. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree to another. For that seed to fall and for it to land in good soil, good moisture, good development kind of area, we have to recognize, as Paul says again, I'm doing a lot of Paul this morning, it is suffering that produces character. It is suffering that develops us. And you're sat in this room this morning as one who who has suffered because it's just a byproduct of being human and to different degrees. But every single day, you suffer in one way or another because in every single day, something happens that doesn't go your way and isn't on your terms, right? I'm learning a drive around Preston. It is suffering. You take one wrong turn, and your journey is rerouted, and it's like 20 minutes just to get to the same spot. I was coming back from London uh, two days ago, and all the trains north got canceled. So London Euston became this incredibly hostile environment where it was everyone who wanted to get north couldn't. And there was this one man in Euston train station who had a clipboard and a walkie-talkie, and everyone's crowding around him saying, when can I get to Manchester? Where can I get to Leeds? When can I get to Birmingham? And he's just looking at him like, I don't know. I don't know if there's been a fire. I don't know. And what was happening in, this, in these people, they were showing the worst of themselves. They were attacking him. They were ridiculing him. And I sat there looking at them, and I was thinking, you are, you are legitimately suffering because you can't get to where you're going. But that suffering isn't forming you now in a way that you want it to, to, to develop you. It's now causing you to become someone that you're going to regret being. And whether it's stuck in traffic or whether it's truly the dark night of the soul like St. John of the Cross talks about, whether it's loss, whether it's grief, and I don't say this frivolously, suffering gives us an opportunity to be people that receive the word in a way no one else does. Julian of Norwich is famous for saying the phrase, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. What we don't always appreciate was her context was a deathbed, was a sickness, and out of this deep, despair and out of this deep suffering she had a crystal clear understanding of the gospel all shall be well 
all shall be well. And so, 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 so Jesus is saying, will you allow your suffering to develop you? Whether it's stuck in traffic or whether it's something that feels more critical, will you open yourself up to me? And you could do a whole series on that. I know that's a huge, huge thing. I wrote this down in my journal like a year ago. My levels of frustration are the clearest, are the clearest evidence of my godliness. If I want to know how am I developing in Christ, how often do I just get quickly frustrated and agitated, you know? How often do I allow my suffering to deform me rather than for me? And the third thing, some fell on the thorns. The thorns grew with it and they choked it. Jesus says this is because they had become distracted. They had become so aligned with just hedonism, just pleasure, instantaneous gratification. They hadn't allowed any perseverance to exist in their life. You're choked by distraction. And this is, this is something I've thought about for a while now, but distraction used to, me, used to be to me this kind of the friend in your friendship group that's always got a better idea. That like comes, what, what are you guys doing on Saturday? Okay, that's cool, that's cool. Or we could do this. And I kind of lean into it of like, oh man, kind of like distraction. It always gives a better alternative. What I've come to realize is it's not just an alternative. Distraction is more commonly an anesthetic. What it does, it gives you an alternative, but in, the do, in doing so, it requires you to become numbed or indifferent to the very thing that you are going to do. So if you're going into surgery, they, they numb you so that you don't feel the pain, thank God. Distraction does the same thing. It numbs us from what is truest within us so that we don't actually have to experience. So the distraction looks like anything that it looks like for you. It could be food. It could be Netflix. It could be porn. I don't know. It could be anything that just instantaneously numbs you. I don't have to think about it, and I don't have to do it. In the, in the screw tape letters, I'll just read you a small portion. But Jesus, oh Jesus, screw tape, C.S. Lewis writes in, it's a, in his fiction, he says, this is two demons talking to each other. It's a fascinating book. It's a brilliant book. He says this, one demon talking to another demon about how to basically pull someone away from the faith. He says, you no longer need a good book to distract him, a book that he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. Just give him an advertisement in yesterday's paper. That will do. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods of time. Keep him up late at night. Not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited, inhibited and nothing given in return. So at last, he might say, as one of my own patients once said on his arrival down here, I now see I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought to do or what I even liked. I just was distracted. And the antithesis of distraction is discipline, and discipline costs us. Discipline will always cost you, but it will always cost you who you don't want to be. It will always help you become the person that you have the deepest longing to become. And so Jesus is saying, for this word to go in, for this word to be deeply planted within you, rid yourself of the anesthetic. Rid yourself this week of distraction. And then finally, some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And when explaining this, Jesus makes it clear, these, effectively, these seeds are the seeds that were met with a heart set on devotion. And you could define devotion as simply doing what Jesus says. And in particularly, in this passage, 
doing the opposite of the three things that I've just said, right? So the first one, do the opposite of acting like the enemy doesn't exist. Gee, it's pretty clear in the Gospels, and it's pretty clear in the epistles. There is an adversary. Paul says it plainly. We're in a war. I think it's Peter who says, do not think it strange when you face the fiery darts of the enemy. This isn't strange. This is what it is. We're in a war right now. Don't think it's strange. Be aware of him and resist him. You can resist him today. Secondly, don't deny your suffering. Acknowledge the dark room. You have to go through it. It's a part of our Christian faith. As much as you might not think it is in different ways, it has always been a part of our faith to acknowledge our suffering and to actually be people who suffer well. Jesus says, join me in my suffering. It's actually intimacy with Christ when we suffer and suffer with him. Thirdly, allow yourself to not be numbed and indifferent, deny distraction. And you will become a devoted person and you will become the good soil that Jesus is looking for. This is something um, that Eugene Peterson, one of my heroes, says this. And yet I decide in his book, is a book called, what's it called? Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says this, yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do clumsily open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing, is love, sorry, that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. I remember that worship is an act that develops my feelings for God, not a feeling for God that I express in an act of worship. Let me read that one more time. Worship is an act that develops my feelings for God and not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. So my prayer, I'm going to wrap this up in, in a prayer. My prayer for us this morning, myself very much included, is that we would become the good soil, or the good souls, just change a couple letters, that we would become the souls that when the word of God is spoken, and that we would remember that the word of God is Jesus. John tells us that the word became flesh, that we would be those that received the word with hearts that were opened, hearts that were undistracted, Hearts that recognize there is no way to godliness. There is no way to be formed into the image of Christ without a dark room. <laughs> that we would be those that would every day resist the devil and every day acknowledge the God who is ever present with us. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.